Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you know us. You know the real us. You know, you know the us behind the masks. You know our insecurities, our doubts, our frustrations, our sadness, our anxieties. And you know the joy and the encouragement and the blessings and the excitement as well. And so we pray that you would speak to us this morning into those different things, into those contexts. And we come to you expectantly because we know that you are a God who loves to speak. And so we pray that you would help us to listen, to hear, and by your spirit to be those who obey. Might we see the Lord Jesus all the more clearly as we consider these verses together. In his name we pray. Amen. And so we're sat here distanced in our masks we've had to sign up online this week there's a faint smell of alcohol gel emanating from you there are qr codes everywhere and one thing that these last 20 months or so have shown us is that in a world where we love to be in charge and we love to stand on our rights we've not been able to just do what we want We've not had the freedom to simply live life as we would want to live. And we still don't. I mean, just try um, rewinding a month or so in your mind and head off to um, Sainsbury's Hayford Hill to do your weekly shop. And, and you arrive there without your mask. I've seen people forget. They go back to the car or you buy one on the door or you try and cover your mouth like this with a jumper. It doesn't really work, does it? And you arrive at the shop, hopefully masked up, you sanitise your hands and your trolley and everything, and you head around the shop trying to keep two metres distance from everybody else. Maybe there are empty shelves, and you're sanitising your hands every chance you get, and you're trying to keep the kids away from the food that you're not buying because they shouldn't really be touching it. Kids, we've not been able to live as we want to live. Why? Well, in one sense, because of contamination. Because we are unclean, because we might be infected or they might be infected. And so we keep our distance. And, and that is more than a bit frustrating, isn't it? You probably feel that something of that this morning. It's not as we would want it to be. But I think we'll see that helps us as we come to these chapters in Exodus this morning. As we approach these chapters for this morning, the idea of not being able to simply do as we want, the idea of being unclean in one sense, sits at the very heart of them. And so our experience, however frustrating it's been or still is, helps us to feel in part something of what's going on in this section. You see, this whole sermon series has been entitled Rescued for Relationships. God frees his people that they might worship him. And yet the massive issue with that, the problem, the conundrum, is his people in their sin and their uncleanness and their dirtiness cannot relate to him, cannot worship him, cannot have relationship with him. Because he is clean and they are not. Because he is clean and we are not. And so something must be done for rescued for relationship to actually happen, to be a reality, to be a thing. 
And if you were around last week, you saw the tabernacle shows that the Lord is committed to them. He is committed to relationship. There's all kind of Eden type imagery going on. God is not a periphery arm's length footnote type God, but he's in the midst of his people. At the heart of the life of his people, at the heart of everything. But how can relationship happen? How can rescued for relationship be a reality? Something must be done. And, you know, as you work your way through this section, and as you work your way through the detail and the minutiae, this is how God sorts it out. This is how the problem is dealt with, at least in part. And again and again and again, we are in no doubt, this is God's plan. We're to do it this way exactly as he tells us to do it. Because it's not just a question of a possible virus and spreading it to others. It's a, it's a question of a pure and perfect God. He's not tame. We, we can't just waltz in. The stakes are so much higher. Friends, whenever God is approached in the scriptures, it is always with an air of awe. A, a holy, 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 a woe is me, I am ruined before you, a, a falling on the floor, on your face, before him. This is not a game that they must listen. They must obey. They must do it exactly as he outlines it for them. God, God tells us how we can worship him. There's no room for creative thinking. There's no room for, well, here's how I like to worship the kind of God that I believe in. And so the drumbeat that resounds again and again through this section is his word commanded. They are to do it as the Lord commanded, just as he commanded, everything as he commanded. Let me give you some examples. In 29.35, do for Aaron and his sons everything I have commanded you. Or, or 31 and verse 6, and also I have given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I have commanded you. Or 31.11, they are to make them just as I commanded you. So, so whether it's what the priest wears or the geography of the tabernacle or the details of what it will all look like or how the priests are even to wash themselves or the sacrifices that they are to use or the type of oil that the priests are to be anointed with, every last bit is God's plan, just as he commands them. Nothing's up for grabs. Not because... Not because God's got a problem with compromise or he must have it his way. He's some sort of egomaniac. But it's because he loves his people. And because he loves them, he wants sin and rebellion and guilt and shame to be dealt with. He wants them to be rescued for relationship. And as well, because it all points ahead to another person. A story of a greater truth to come, a greater priest who doesn't need to get rid of his own sin. A greater sacrifice that's once and for all and forever. A greater place to meet with God as sin is dealt with perfectly. And they leave us longing for more. They leave us longing for Christ. So let's get into the text. Um, two key things for this morning. They're on your um, lilac handout, if that helps you. Um, they are very simple in one sense. They are this, to be friends with God, we need a representative and we need reconciliation. We need a representative and we need reconciliation. So a representative, someone who will represent us before God to, to go in 
and to make it safe for us. This idea particularly comes out in chapter 28 that Kitty read for us. Because the Lord lays out and Moses lists all the clothes that the priests are going to be able to wear or have to wear. And if you shut your Bible or you've turned off your device, I don't mind if you put it back on as long as you stick on the right app. Um, 28 verse 4, for example. These are the garments they are to make, a, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a woven tunic, a turban and a sash. They are to make these sacred garments for your brother Aaron and his sons so they may serve me as priests. Have them use gold and blue and purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen. And the thing is, these clothes tell a story. So just look at the ephod or the breastpiece, for example. You probably don't have an ephod at home in your wardrobe. Might do. I don't. Ephods essentially are liturgical aprons. Think of it like that. So have a look at 28 verse 6 onwards. Make the ephod of gold, of blue, purple and scarlet yarn and of finely twisted linen, the work of skilled hands. It is to have two shoulder pieces attached to two of its corners so it can be fastened. Its skillfully woven waistband is to be like it, a one piece with the ephod and made with gold, blue, purple, scarlet yarn, finely twisted linen. Take the two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. In the order of their birth, six names on one stone, the remaining six on the other. Engrave the names of the sons of Israel on the two stones, the way a gem cutter engraves a seal, and then mount the stones in gold filigree settings and fasten them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. Aaron is to bear the names on his shoulders as a memorial before the Lord. Or or the breastpiece, I won't read it all, but just hear how it concludes in verse 21, there are to be 12 stones, one for each of the names of the sons of Israel, each engraved like a seal with the names of one of the 12 tribes. Often when we talk about priests in the Bible, um, we describe them as, as representing God to the people and representing the people to God. And here you just see that so clearly they represent God to the people. The clothes are extraordinary. They are valuable. They are glorious. They are made, just as God says, with skilled hands, beautiful, set apart, stunning. And there's gold and precious stones to finish it all off, not some kind of extravagant bling flex thing showing off, but rather to show them something of the weightiness and the splendor of God and his beauty. And so people would look at the priests and they would go, wow, oh, they look amazing. And then they would join the dots and think, ah, wow, my God is amazing. The priests represent God to the people. But then the other way as well, they represent the people to God. On the ephod, they are to engrave the names of the sons of Israel on the two stones or or the breastpiece with all the precious stones, 12 stones, one for each of the names of the sons of Israel. So just imagine it. Imagine the high priest goes into the tabernacle and he arrives with the people of God with him written with all the family names, represented by the precious stones. You see, it's one man going in, making sacrifices for for many, for the people of God. He's not just acting for himself. His clothes tell a story of who he's there for, of what's going on. Why why beautiful gold and precious stones to represent this people on on the ephod, the breastpiece? It's 
Well, it's striking. I think his people in part are like him. They are set apart and they are precious. There are echoes of last week with the um, lapis lazuli under God's feet. So they are in one sense like the one whom they serve. God's people reflecting their God. And then also, do you remember Exodus 19? Remember this, just before Moses gave the Ten Commandments, this is not a rhetorical question. Um, do you remember how God describes his covenant people? Do you remember Phil was preaching just before the Ten Commandments? Do you remember how God describes his people? Exodus 19, round about verse 5 and 6. You can speak through your masks. Anyone? Be brave. Priesthood, thank you. Just before that priesthood bit, do you remember the bit before? Treasured possession, yeah. God's people are his treasured possession. Their God is lofty and powerful and magnificent and all the earth belongs to him and all the nations are his. But this weak, tiny, insignificant little nation in the middle of the desert in a sea of sand will be his treasured possession, precious to him. I wonder if that's partly why they're precious stones. Just linger there a moment. What do you think God thinks about you as he looks at you? What does he feel about you, feel about us? Well, see here that he considers his people precious, treasured, beautiful even. He doesn't have the eye roll of disappointment, the air of frustration that they've done it again. God's people are loved and cherished, such that he even chose gold and gems to represent his people as the high priest enters the sanctuary for sacrifice. God loves us. So firstly, we need a representative. Secondly, on your sheets there, we need reconciliation. If, if the representative going in is step one, then something needs to happen for reconciliation to be a thing, for relationship to be a thing. And the Bible says that can only come through something called atonement. Atonement is, is bringing back together what has been separated. It's sometimes rightly said, it literally comes from at one month. So it's being at one again. It's reuniting something again. And it's all kinds of atonement needed in this section of Exodus. The people are far from him and God is so good. And we saw last week the atonement cover on the ark. Do you remember the mercy seat? In our chapters for this week, we've got atonement first for the priests and the place. So, for example, 29 verse 35, do for Aaron and his sons everything I ever commanded you, taking seven days to ordain them. Sacrifice a bull each day as a sin offering to make atonement. Purify the altar by making atonement for it and anoint it to consecrate it. Then the altar will be most holy and whatever touches it will be holy. And then, for example, chapter 30, you get something called atonement money. It's to be um, paid by everyone. Partly it's a way of funding the sacrifices and the equipment and all that's needed, but it's also a way that they remember that the Lord has redeemed them from Egypt. They receive the atonement money, verse 30, verse 16, from the Israelites and use it for the service of the tent of meeting. It will be a memorial for the Israelites before the Lord making atonement for your lives. 
So for relationship to happen, for reconciliation to happen, atonement needs to happen. And how does atonement happen? Well, essentially, atonement is a way of dealing with sin. Dealing with our shame and our guilt and our brokenness and our uncleanness and the ways in which we have not lived as we ought to have lived. The the things that, that we're ashamed of. The things that separate us from him. And we walk into the shop and we need to disinfect, we need to wear a mask, we need to keep our distance. And in a real sense, that shows something of our, of our sinful brokenness, of the way that we must relate to God in his holiness and his just perfection. We see something of our uncleanness through the way that we've had to live these last 18 months. Because he is so good and so pure and so perfect and so right, he, he can't coexist with our guilt and our, our contamination. And he can't just ignore it and say it's not a thing. Because if he did that, then he wouldn't actually be good and pure and perfect and right. And so rather than them dying, an animal dies in their place. Rather than their blood being shed, then the animal's blood is shed instead. And later in the Bible, we see that actually the animal dying just pointed ahead to to Jesus dying. The human who deals with their sin. His death on the cross looks back to them and covers them as well as forward and covering us. Because we're not looking for priests today, not in the same way at least. That They had to keep making atonement. They had to keep going again and again and again in the exhausting treadmill of religion. That we're not looking around for priests in the same way today. We're looking to the high priest, the the one whom they all pointed to, to Christ. And in him, we have the holy priest who was not corrupted in any way and the perfect sacrifices whose blood is enough. And you see, both strands from this morning find their beautiful fulfillment in Christ because he represents us before the Father. He heads in in our place. We are precious to him. And he reconciles us by making atonement for us. What does all this mean? Friends, it means you are secure and you are safe and you are forgiven and you are loved. It means that when you've had one of those weeks, you know those weeks, or one of those days, or even these last few months when you've surprised yourself by the ongoing reality of of your own sin, the murkiness of your own hearts, perhaps the things that you say, the things that you do, the things that you think, the way that you've you've trusted in the wrong things and you've coped by going to the wrong things and, and you're discouraged by how far you have to go still and the darkness and the depths of what's inside and, and you realise it's not just your hands or, or the surfaces around you that need disinfecting but inside we need it and you're ashamed and you think, has God really got time for someone like me? Really? When I'm still struggling with this thing or 
Well, in those moments, we can look to Christ because he has represented us and he has brought reconciliation and we don't have to represent ourselves before God, try and plead our own strength and our own goodness. We don't have to try and earn reconciliation as if we could because we have it already. And so Maudlin Rove, when we're at our lowest and at our worst, and in the depths, it's been done. He's already dealt with it. And we can look to Christ and we can give thanks. We have a representative and we have reconciliation. Let me pray. Lord, we, we are so thankful for the Lord Jesus. Lord, we're so sorry when we don't live as we ought. We're so sorry for the wrong things that we trust in. We're so sorry even for trying to earn reconciliation ourselves or represent ourselves before you, but we thank you so much for him. Thank you that it's been done already. Lord, thank you that we are precious to you. Thank you that we are treasure to you even. Thank you that we are secure in Christ. In his name we pray.